Welcome to What the Buck, a monthly podcast produced by Buckhalter, a professional corporation. I'm your host, Richard Ormond, a shareholder at Buckhalter and founder of Ejudicate.com. This podcast is to provide up-to-date legal developments. Our first season will focus on issues facing businesses in the now emerging post-COVID world. From video trials to employment considerations to privacy and so much more, the world from the legal perspective has evolved quickly during the pandemic, and many of these changes are here to stay. If you want to reach out to us, please feel free to contact us at podcast at buckhalter.com with questions, comments, or suggested topics. Now, on to today's guest. Welcome. My name is Richard Ormond. I'm the host of What the Buck. It's a series of podcasts for considerations in a post-COVID world. We're discussing some legal issues today with Gabe Green. Gabe Green is a senior partner at Buckhalter in Los Angeles, and he is also chair of their litigation group. Gabe has the unique experience of having done the first trial in arbitration completely and totally by video. And it's something that we think is going to be much more prevalent in the uh, years to come. Gabe, welcome to the program. Uh, We're really honored and flattered to have you here. Um, I wanted to ask you, being that in the COVID world, we were locked in our homes and we had very little access to the outside world. Was it difficult adjusting to moving your practice pretty much online? So good morning, uh, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to do this. Moving the practice to online was, uh, there were obviously some challenges involved with it. Prior to the uh, pandemic, it was very normal for us to all be in person and, and somewhat unusual to do anything over video conferencing. In the past, we would do video conferencing. The technology was there and available to do uh, remote depositions. You know, I had done remote depositions over in China, but it wasn't, it was the exception, not the norm. So so it was more of a, of a novel thing than it was the, the norm. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and here you are on video daily, I would assume. Correct. The old setups of trying to do the video conferencing depots, there was a, a lot involved. Now it's very easy to set up, hey, let's, we're going to do a deposition next week and the court reporting firms are all set up and opposing counsels all set up and even uh, individuals and witnesses are all very savvy on Zoom platforms and similar ones. That's really interesting. So let me ask you about this. Depositions where you have maybe dozens of documents that you have to present to a witness, you have opposing counsel, you may have a referee involved. How do you coordinate all those folks in a deposition and how do you control what the deponent, for example, is looking at versus uh, you know going, skipping ahead or trying to read documents that are not, not yet uh, introduced as evidence, those types of problems? Well, that was one of the uh, difficult things that um, required a little bit of uh, uh, of a learning curve to try and figure out how to handle those. You know, in the past, uh, doing uh, depositions in person, you control the documents and you don't show them to the other side until you're ready and and it's all set up for that. By doing that, then you can make sure that no one sees it in advance and and tries to prep themselves on how they're going to respond to your questions. With regard to the video conferencing, obviously you're not in person, it makes it more difficult, so how do you deal with that? There's a number of ways to do it. One is to just publish it on your screen, do your share screen and do it. That's great because, again, you're in control of the documents. The other side can't even flip through it. The difficult part about that is those same benefits on your end make it a hindrance um, in conducting depositions where it's 
uh, very document intensive cases. A case with contracts that are you know 50 pages long, it's very difficult to do that. And having the documents in front of the witness is more, is helpful to get a uh, the examination more free flowing. It, when someone is defending a deposition, is that more difficult doing it by video if they're not in the same room? Kind of. Well, let me go back to just finish up with the, the sharing of the documents. One thing that you can do is your court reporting firm that you hire, you can arrange to have the documents delivered to the court reporter in advance. And as long as the court reporter is in the same room as the deponent, then you can have the court reporter then publish or show the document to the uh, witness. There are times when the other side doesn't want the court reporter in the same location, so obviously that takes it out. You then can have a agreement with counsel. I believe that you were the one who referenced this in one of your cases that um, you have an agreement where they keep it in a sealed box and only open it at the time of the deposition. But some of those cases, you know, that requires a lot of trust with the other side as well. Yeah, in our circumstance, we we literally went from first world technology to ancient technology because we actually sealed the box and had a coordinated opening of the boxes at the same time. Um, so in essence, it was like an old king using his ring to, to stamp a wax seal onto the documents to ensure that they weren't tampered with or reviewed beforehand. I think that's a good idea I, because of then you're not, I mean, you want to trust the other side, but you also want to trust with caution. And, and that um, gives the ability for both sides to be comfortable with what is going on. So defending the deposition, is that better in person or is that is that better to do by, by video? Are there protocols in place that you have with, with, our, with your witness that you want to go through ahead of time just to make sure that they don't do anything on video that, that uh, may change your case or change the, the, the witnesses, uh, the other side's perception of the witness? So that's a good question, and I'll take it from the perspective of the deposing attorney and then also from the perspective of the defending attorney. From the deposing attorney, if I have a opposing party and their counsel is in the same room with them, the one requirement that I have and insist upon is that the uh, defending attorney be on camera as well. That way, at least I can see what the defending attorney is doing and there is no coaching of the uh, witnesses in that regard. And typically, you know, defending attorneys have uh, no issue in that regard. If I'm on the defense side, is it better to be in person or um, over Zoom? If the client is comfortable with it, I'd prefer to be in person with the client. It's a lot easier to object. You don't have the time delay with the uh, video feeds. And then also you can help the, the client, you know, navigate through the process. And on breaks, you can confer with your client. If you need to do it remotely, the client's not comfortable to be in the same room or the client is just in a, a different location, that's doable. You just need to remind the client that anything that is said over the video feed is going to be picked up on the other side, even when you are off off the record. So moving on from depositions, um, what about court appearances? Have you had to deal with the, uh, video technology in court appearances? And how has that changed from uh, pre-pandemic to, to now, to, to today? So pre-pandemic, uh, we had the ability to make appearances via court call. And I always, and it may have just been my perception, but my perception was always that the court preferred us to be in person and didn't want us to be over a court call, unless it's you know simple CMCs, uh, case management conferences, those were fine to do, but substantive motions, the court would prefer to have you in, in person. I imagine clients too would, would think that arguing over the phone is less effective than arguing something in person. I would agree. And I, I think personally, I, I believe that I'm more effective in person um, because of all of the 
uh, intangibles, so being able to read the, the room, read the judge, see how things are being received. Pre-pandemic, again, preference was to be in person. Post-pandemic, now the courts uh, in today's age is, uh, are much more set up to deal with it, though at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a big learning curve. Some of the courts um, tried to implement their own uh, video conferencing system. I know LA Superior uh, tried to do a rollout of their own, which had a, a number of kinks and bugs. And finally, they switched over to do Teams, and uh, it's much better. The courts, the judges, the clerks, they're all uh, becoming very technologically savvy, and uh, it's, it's starting to, to roll through the process. So it's been my recent experience that judges actually prefer everyone to show up by video. And I think they actually are getting through their calendars much more quickly because of it. Um, so what we lose in that face-to-face, -face, we lose or we gain an efficiency, it, it, it appears. But I still miss that ability to read opposing counsel while they're standing next to you or read the judge while they're right in front of you. I think that is part of why we are advocates is because we are able to read people and, and do things like that. So I wonder if that's something that we're going to miss as, as time goes on. Do you think the courts will revert back to live hearings or do you think this is the new normal? I think um, it, it may be a more of a hybrid approach. Um, I think trials need to be in person. Uh, I think that everyone is dealing with it to the extent that they can to do remote trials. I think that, and most of the courts have gone back to live trials. I think that where the video feed will come in, into play on live trials would be from maybe taking certain witnesses via remote means, um, but the major witnesses, I think, would be by live trials. With regard to everyday hearings, I think the court, as you mentioned, um, for the efficiency reason, enjoys and, and appreciates the ability to move through the calendar much quicker. And I think that uh, many judges will uh, continue to have uh, the remote appearances as the preferred method. I think the judges like the fact that they can pretty much turn your video off. <laughs> <laughs> I agree on that. So um, you mentioned trial uh, by video, trial in person. Um, you have a unique experience in that you were the first attorney to actually do an entire arbitration trial um, through by video. Tell us a little bit about that and what were some of the things you were worried about and what were the actual problems that you ended up facing in that in that process? Sure. So, yeah, we were supposed to go to arbitration trial in May, right, as the pandemic hit. And then uh, we went forward and we were able to get the other side to agree that we could proceed by uh, video on the arbitration trial in June. Um, it went for nine days and it was a, uh, a learning curve, to say the least. The... Um, difficulties involved with with doing it were you know on sharing documents on um, trying to you know get uh, certain witnesses um, examined uh, there were a number of third-party witnesses that the other side had uh, wanted to use where they um, one of them took uh, their appearance by uh, the parking lot outside of a, a UPS store on their phone wow. um, which was very difficult uh, to conduct that examination. Um, but we, we implemented certain uh, procedures in place to make sure that it was fair. So one uh, issue that the other side had was a concern that if I was in the same room as my client in conducting the examination that I would have some sort of um, billboards or something behind there that would lead and coach the client on it. So what we did was uh, I agreed to have my client at his house and I would be at my house and we'd conduct the examination after that was done. That's interesting. So they were afraid that there could be some sort of collusion outside the view of the camera. So you guys had to agree ahead of time that everyone would be in separate 
locations. Correct. For the, for the um, direct examination that I did of my client. Once we uh, finished with that examination, which uh, went a couple of days, then uh, my client and I came into our office here in, in Buckhalter in LA, and we did it from the conference room, the remainder of the arbitration trial, which I preferred because of the, the video feeds were better. We were able to use our systems here where you get a screenshot of the whole uh, room as opposed to just your face appearing on it. And it at least felt a little bit more like doing a trial um, in front of the judge that I could get up and move around as opposed to just sitting in my seat looking at the camera. Part of uh, trial is intuition. And when you're not face to face with like the trier of fact, meaning the, the arbitrator or the judge, um, do you still have the same ability to read what they're thinking or, or where, where they're going with a decision or, or anything like that? Or is that completely now just, uh, just a guess based on what you see on the video? Yeah, that's a very good question and, and definitely on point of how you're dealing with trials. During the examination, when I'm conducting the examination, I'm able to see every person that uh, has a video feed set up. So my you know, eyes are focused on the judge and also opposing counsel and, and seeing where things are. The, this came into a little bit of a difficulty, um, not when I was doing my direct examination, but on cross. And what happened was, is when the opposing side would uh, share screen with their documents, and it may have been the way that the system was set up, but all I could see was the document and the person actually speaking. So if opposing counsel was asking his question, I'd see his face. When the witness was responding, I'd see his or her face. But what I couldn't see is I couldn't see the judge. And it was difficult because, again, as you noted, I want to read the judge, see how things are hitting. Now, out of respect for the other side, I didn't make any issue out of it or didn't even make mention. But if we did have if I did have an objection, I would respectfully ask the other side to please take off the share screen so I could then see the judge when I'm making my argument to see what is hitting and what is falling flat in order to do that sort of. Uh, that's argument. really that's really interesting. And the other side was willing to accommodate that request. Yes. Yes. And I. I because of that, I also noted that probably when I was sharing screen, he had the same uh, problem. So um, I did I did provide that similar courtesy. That, that's really good. Was it difficult to cross-examine a witness uh, by, solely by video? Because cross-examination is almost an art form in some respects. And each question builds on the other and, and you rely on their reactions and their, and their eye movement and all those things. How do you handle all that in a video cross-examination? It was uh, just a change of technique, um, making sure that one, slowing up uh, certain prep questions to lead up to the punch, um, making sure that uh, I'm, there's no uh, speaking over one another and a loss of the video feed because you want it to be built up so the judge is hearing where it's at. So it was um, having pauses after the questions and making sure that they get their responses and then um, continuing to follow up. When you publish the uh, the document that you may want to use for your cross on it. Again, you hold it to the last moment and then you kind of bring it up and, and publish it. The the cross actually didn't seem as difficult once you got the hang of it. I'll tell you that the most difficult aspect of it where I thought it fell flat was on openings. You know, uh, on openings, you know, you kind of want to walk around, you want to sort of develop the rapport and sitting in a chair, staring at your computer screen and giving an opening statement uh, it didn't have the fanfare that it, it loses that have. passion, huh? It did. So that's really interesting. Um, so do you think in the future, 
um, this is a new normal using video and document share and all those types of things? Or do you think that we'll revert back to live hearings, live appearances and arbitration? I think for arbitrations, uh, video uh, appearances are going to be um, more of the norm. Um, arbitrations are best suited for that sort of situation, given the fact that it's a, a trial by agreement. So the parties can agree as to certain procedures and ways to handle it. I know a lot of arbitrators uh, appreciate that. Um, many of the arbitrators are not uh, located in the same city where they have their offices. And so they can conduct the arbitrations via remote means. Um, and then also, if the parties do desire to have it in person, uh, I've had a number of arbitrations since that first one uh, uh, after the pandemic, where the uh, you have live testimony, but then you have a number of uh, witnesses that are appearing by video feed. So I think on, on that end, it will um, be more of a, uh, a video appearances, especially just on the efficiency involved. Let's talk about courtroom trials. Um, what do you do? You think that's going to be similar for courtroom trials, or do you think that they're going to revert back to having live witnesses? Yeah, on courtroom trials, I think that it's going to revert back to having live witnesses. One on having um, juries. Um, it's difficult to do a. Uh, a presentation to juries when they're all by Zoom. I did a, a, a panel um, for the Orange County Bar Association with the person that did the first jury trial out of Texas. And she had a number of uh, comments on the, the difficulty involved in, in making sure that you know jurors are staying focused to what's going on, where you don't have that similar sort of difficulty if they're all sitting in courtroom and the judge can look over and see what they're doing. Literally a captive audience, right? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me ask you one more question about courtrooms. Expert witnesses. Expert witnesses require lots of uh, documents, maybe actual exhibits, things like that. Um, have you had the chance to examine an expert witness during during COVID? And what kind of changes or adaptations did you have to make to, to conduct that? So we... We had expert witnesses in that uh, first arbitration trial. Um, the expert witnesses, uh, the depositions, we took some by um, video, and then one of them we did in person. Um, the examination is, is very similar to when you're uh, conducting an examination of a witness in a very document-intensive case. Um, the uh, experts, I find that you need to kind of uh, meet with them longer to just get them comfortable with the actual um, presentation. They're, again, comfortable with being in court, giving the presentation and providing their um, uh, opinions. And when it's over video, you need to help them understand that, hey, you may need to do a little bit more of explaining, especially on these technical experts that, you know, they forget that a lot of people don't know and have the benefit of, of the knowledge that they have. And we need them to explain that process to them. I think that's a similar problem to experts, even pre-COVID, to some extent, making sure <laughs> that true. they explain things in a way that a layperson can understand. Um, as we get uh, to the end of this podcast, um, what type of new emerging technologies are you seeing that uh, that you find interesting and that may actually be helpful in this post-COVID world? So one thing with the uh, post-COVID world is the backlog at the courts. The um, the court system, because of the temporary shutdowns and then also having to um, deal with setting up their video conferencing systems and then um, just juggling with all of the, the issues that they've had to juggle with, there's a significant backlog on their dockets. The last few the trials that I had set are now 
in mid to late 2023. Um, most of the, the court systems are just really backlogged. So because of that, everything is, is shifting over to arbitrations um, because it's a way to get more speedy uh, resolution of the, of the cases. So I find that the tendency is, is trying to go over and look for alternative ways to uh, resolve the disputes. And one um, set of arbitration forms that are starting to come up are these online dispute resolution platforms. Unlike the prior, the, the traditional ADR firms that have their own offices, they have um, conference rooms that you can meet, these online dispute resolution uh, facilities, everything is conducted remotely and it's very efficient and uh, streamlined. There's a, a number of them out there. Ejudicate is one that always pops in my head. Um, and it allows for a more efficient and, and quick way to, to process the case on it. So now, now that we are kind of getting into a post-COVID world, um, what do you think the, uh, the future landscape is going to look like with, with the courts and with arbitration? I think the benefit that we can take out of it is it, it allows for more flexibility. Um, again, the judges, court systems, uh, attorneys, witnesses, litigants are all more comfortable in being flexible in the way in which we all have to operate. So I think with this new technology that we've all been forced into learning um, allows us to conduct trials litigation in a more efficient manner. Um, the courts are always, and, and litigants are always hesitant to buy into new technology. Um, and now I think that you know everyone has been forced to do it and now it gives everyone resources that, that can be used to kind of make things more efficient. With this new landscape, do you have any uh, kind of general recommendations for people that are about to go into trial or thinking about filing a lawsuit on how this technology change may affect or impact their, their dispute? Um, I think that, I mean, if, if a party is, is going to go into a lawsuit, I think that they're going to go into a lawsuit no matter what. Um, but your question actually just uh, made me think of one thing that I did want to point out, um, and I go over it with all of my witnesses, and that is on making appearances uh, via video means. Um, witnesses and attorneys need to remember that they are appearing just as if they're in court. And so not only should the dress be appropriate, that they should be in suit and tie or uh, formal wear for women, um, but also on the way in which they address the court. You know, when you're sitting in a, in a conference room or in your home office, uh, you may tend to be a little bit more lax on how you're uh, speaking with the court. And I've heard a number of hearings where I just cringe at the sort of informality in which they're addressing the court or just reacting, you know, uh, I, in the past, you wouldn't hear people, or very rarely would you hear people snap back at a judge, but you hear it more and more on the video feed, which is quite surprising. That's really interesting. Um, what about like uh, sitting up straight, not slouching, those types of things? Those are probably you know basic recommendations that people need to be reminded of. I was involved in a very uh, important hearing, and opposing counsel kept just sinking in their chair and sinking in their chair and sinking in their chair. and. It was noticeable to me for sure, and I'm sure it was noticeable to the judge as well. And it was almost as if, uh, as their arguments got weaker, their their, their posture got worse. Um, so I, I think that that's really good advice for being cognizant that you really are in a courtroom. It just happens to be a virtual courtroom at this point. Yeah, I think that's true. There was um, a, a judge down in Orange County 
that I had heard of um, where everyone started appearing and all their videos were off and the judge ordered everyone to turn on their videos. And uh, there was a number of attorneys in there with baseball caps on and uh, T-shirts and the judge admonished um, everyone that was appeared that way by saying that, hey, you are in court and you need to dress appropriately. Now, you know, the, it's unfortunate for those because we've all all done that, right, where you think that you're not going to be on video. But if there's a chance that you will be on video, you at least want to be uh, formally dressed, at least from the waist up and not stand up. So. Yeah, not stand up. <laughs> I think I told you we had a case where the judge signed off and everybody was in a, in a sports coat and tie. And uh, I think it was me or, or somebody that I was with was like, well, how many people are actually only dressed from the waist up? And everybody stood up and they had their pajamas on or shorts on and everything else. So despite the fact that for the court they looked formal, they, 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 they were only formal from the waist up. That's funny. When preparing a witness for a deposition or for trial, um, what kind of preparation do you go through with them? Uh, good question. The most important thing is to uh, do a test run. Um, to make sure that their technology is going to work okay. Uh, you would want to um, set up, find out what sort of system you're going to work on. Is it going to be Zoom? Is it going to be Teams? Or one of the other sort of platforms. And then try and do a dry run of it. That way you can test their video feed, how the appearance looks, do they have enough lighting, um, also on their bandwidth. Um, if a witness has uh, children in the house, uh, you want to make sure that they're not streaming any videos or playing on video games that will eat up some of the bandwidth on it. And then also how the sound quality is. Um, so that's a very important thing to set up on the technology. With regard to the arbitration trial that I did, we actually, I had a separate computer um, set up for my client in case of anything happened with the initial setup, which was actually very helpful because in the dry run, no problem. But then on the morning of the first day of trial, his computer just completely went on the fritz. And fortunately, he had the second one there that we could open up in a few minutes to get him up and running. So I had a similar situation because I had two kids doing Zoom school and my wife was working from home and I was working from home. And so what I ended up doing is I actually got a second Wi-Fi provider to provide a Wi-Fi only for me because I had arbitration hearings and court hearings and everything else. And my bandwidth wasn't wasn't the best to begin with. So by having a second system that only I had access to actually made my life a lot easier um, until my 12 year old got the password and started streaming his games on that because he didn't like the streaming on the first system. So up until that, it worked great. That's funny. Yeah, no, that's a very good, uh, a good point. I mean, I always explain to my witnesses that, hey, look, you you want everyone to hear and process what you're saying. It's a very important event that we're here for. So making sure that we have the best system set up where it's not being uh, interlaid with delays or, or breaks in the, the audio is, is very important. Perfect. So, well, I want to thank you for taking the time today to join us on our first ever uh, What the Buck podcast. Uh, I really wanted to have you as our first guest because you really have quite the unique experience having done the first trial um, completely and totally by video. I think that that's really impressive and an interesting sign of the times. Um, if you have any questions for Gabe Green or want to hear future topics and want to recommend those to us, you can email us at podcast at buckhalter.com. That's podcast at B-U-C-H-A-L-T-E-R.com. My name is Richard Ormond. I am the host of What the Buck, and this is our first episode with Gabe Green, uh, co-chair of the Los Angeles Litigation Department and a senior attorney at Buckhalter. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you.